people are going to steal it. You have to get people involved because it takes a village to raise a family. It probably is going to now take a village to raise a 100 million subscriber channel. It can't be one individual most of the time. If you were going to start a business within the content industry or even the gaming industry, or even just use content slash gaming in order to earn money, what would you do? As silly as it sounds, what is your passion? You know, if you never, if you love what you do, you never work a day in your life. But I think you can attest to this. Making content is an uphill battle. It takes a lot of time. Your first hundred videos, as they all famously say, probably get no views. And it's hyper annoying. So I think you have to find something you enjoy for the long term. And you can't start out like any business. You can't start by wanting to make the money. You have to start because you enjoy it and hopefully money comes. So I think the first step is to figure out what the heck can you be do for the next 10 years and use that 10-year horizon to start out. Honestly, it's the old Mr. Beast saying, mm -hmm. you make 100 videos. The first 100 videos are all going to be terrible and you're not going to get any views. Talk to me at 101. Once you've put in the reps, mm -hmm. maybe you'll start seeing success. And I really think that 100 video thing is very true, but it's even for any startup or any business you're advising. Like Your, your first few customers are going to be hard to find. You're going to spend probably the first five years of any business struggling to make ends meet, struggling to make the money. And any founder you speak to, they say it's really a passion project. Now, you don't have to always love your job. But I think you have to love the journey because, one, you can always make more money. There's always more views to get. Someone will always be more successful than you. But if and you love what you do. Not only will there be mm -hmm. someone more successful than you, there will be somebody working harder than you, more hours, mm -hmm. and vet smarter than you, working to take away everything you have. You get it to a thousand views doing something, somebody will be working to catch up to you. I remember, I'm going to call it about a year ago or maybe 12 months ago. Mm -hmm. Not 12, that's a year. Let's call it 14 months ago. My content career was exploding because of Fall Guys. Fall Guys went free to play. I started creating Fall Guys content and I started exploding to the point that I started noticing emulators. And by, and, but not only did I so, see emulators, I see people. I saw content creators specifically coming after me because there were creators accusing me of stealing their content, which every piece of content I ever made was originally made. It was all, all the Fall Guys content was either original made content or it was a clip from a live stream, which was my own gameplay. Mm -hmm. And I actually got accused of stealing someone's gameplay who I never, or not even the gameplay, I got accused of stealing their form out of content, which was a guy I never even heard of before. And it's, but if I, if I didn't love what I was doing and I was getting attacked like that for no reason, and keep in mind, this is at 3000 subscribers, you know, that could draw someone to quit. But if you love what you're doing, you're going to fight no matter what. I mean, I'm not doing that anymore, but I still make videos. I mean, what are we doing right yeah. now? But that reminds me, funny enough, stealing con content or copying content. Uh, recently, Oliver Tree, the singer or pretty famous on all the uh, media networks social media networks he talks about how he had one of his songs was copied by someone else overseas then he made a copy of his own song so he so he made a cover of a cover of his song then he got accused of stealing this other guy's music when that music was stolen from him originally so he got accused of copying his own music in a roundabout way so i think that's the thing is that there's always going to be people trying to copy your style. Even any success you have, people always want to follow the success. Reacting to react content and getting copyright for the second react. 
it's pretty much in. I think we're seeing that more and more now. I mean, one of the big things you talk to any lawyers or anyone in the industry is that like ownership of content is like very tricky. Anything even in the physical world is really hard to prove if it is copying what it is. And I think because laws and rules are slower to change than the internet itself, there's always going to be this like never ending battle of trying to figure out where is that. I think react content was that example of where is that line between genuine value add content versus, Hey, this is just me in the corner right of the screen doing nothing, but then making money from some other smaller creators content. I think that's always going to be a battle. That's hard to figure out. Yeah. I do want to come back more into the idea mm -hmm. of copying and business strategy because I actually have a very clever solution to what to do if somebody is copying your style but I kind of think we're getting ahead of ourselves because at the point that I'm implying, you're already having success. So I'd like to take a step backwards and mm. like what you would do. And it's like, assuming you don't have a job, you don't have savings, you got to earn something. You got to have money in the door and it doesn't necessarily. And again, as I said, you know, this could be any kind mm. of business within it. It doesn't necessarily have to be creating content. Mm. It could be gaming. It could be advising. Where would you begin? So, I think the first thing is you need to figure out what problem you're solving. Every business, the idea is useless. It's the problem you're solving that's important. I think with content, it's the same thing. Where is your content's niche? You can't be a generalist when you're starting out because you'll get lost in the noise. But it's very possible to be an expert in a small thing to start growing those loyal fans. So I think to start out first, I figure out what am I good at or what do I maybe know more than the average person? Once that you figure that out, you look for inspiration and similar to any business, not copying, but having a format you can follow. I think you need a format to start out so you know how to improve. Because if you're just trying random things, you don't know if you're going the right direction, wrong direction, what's leading to any small success you could be making. There's a famous quote here that I think apply. Mm -hmm. Stealing from one person is plagiarism. Stealing from 10 people is research. And any business you look at, even out of the content world or in traditional business world, is always a version of something else they've seen. I mean, you get to the whole theoretical debate, is anything original? But I think it's important. I mean, if you've seen a lot of startup pitches back in the early 2010s, everyone would say, we're the Uber for X or Uber for Y. You always need a reference point. I think that it is, it's really just is research, but most things have been, to some extent, already figured out. In the traditional business world, there's a lot of lessons you can learn. I think that's why reading books is so important, especially things that tend to not change like human behavior tends to stay the same over a variety of time i guarantee if you looked at how they were making movies in the 20s on what keeps attention it'd be the same as today now how you get that attention is different but i think there's a lot of learnings you can take that you don't have to relearn you don't have to figure out what how to make a thumbnail or how to i, I structure a video people went to university for hundreds of years pretty much to figure out how to gain attention i think there's a lot you can already mimic about having to reinvent the wheel and really focus on something unique you can add value. But with. look, I mean, film school exists if you're making YouTube videos. Mm -hmm. Are you using film school stuff to make YouTube videos or movies? You could really do both. I know there's a lot of famous editors like Hayden Hillier-Smith who went to film school and then brought, but their goal in film school was, I want to be a YouTube editor. I want to be mm -hmm. work on YouTube. And people like that 10 years ago were laughed out of the room. You could actually hear him talk about it in the course that he put out in Creator Now, mm -hmm. he actually specifically talks about being laughed out of the room for wanting to work in YouTube. And now he's probably the most successful person out of that cohort. And everybody, 
you know, they say this all the time. How many, what do a lot of young people want to be when they grow up? YouTubers. But what they don't realize is how much work it is relative to other things and how much you really need to develop that skill or how much you really need to learn. I don't know how long you've been making content, but I started with live streaming in 2019. And, you know, it's 2023 and I'm still learning every single day. Have I become so successful that I'm full time yet? No. Am I learning every single day how to be better? You're damn straight. And that's what's going to matter. It's you read, you watch podcasts, you listen to smarter people than you talk. It's goes, it even goes to the old expression. If you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room. You need to be learning from people. Everyone has something to bring to the table. Back in the day, especially with YouTube, I found this with startups as well. One thing you'll hear a lot of people say is you don't have to go to Harvard to become a successful founder. You'll need an education to be successful. And that's true with content. You could self-teach yourself how to edit videos, how to do everything. But if you look at the most successful people, or you want to guarantee the most success, most of them, it's a lot easier, for example, to probably raise $100 million if you went to a Harvard compared to being a high school dropout. Oh, 100%, because you've built yourself some kind of credibility that people in the real mm-hmm. world are seeing. It's like, okay, this is telling me something about you. Signal theory and at its finest. And I think even like for video editing, sure, you can be a self-taught editor, but I think a lot of people, it's almost the reverse now. People will discredit why are you in traditional school in the social network level or social media world. You can teach everything to yourself. But I think there, and this is kind of, I guess, more of a debate of like, is school useful? But I do think there is, we'll see now, a lot more people taking the traditional route but using it in more untraditional means. I think one of the big things speaking about gaming is that, I mean, until recently, games had very bad storytelling. Because if you were a good storyteller, you wrote scripts for movies. There's no money in gaming 10 years ago, 15 years ago. But now, those same individuals who maybe grew up wanting to become a writer, wanting to develop scripts or develop storylines, now have a choice. Do I become a movie creator or can I create an awesome video game? I think that's what it takes is for the next generation and the top talent, any sports like this, once the money's there, you start getting the best of the best, go to more of the untraditional realms. And I think with YouTube, we'll see the same things. Well, look at it. I think Mm -hmm. the difference between now and in 10 years from now is in 10 years from now, you're going to have all these young people who have spent and have loved YouTube for 10, 15 years that by the time that they're at the age that they need to start working, they will have developed such strong skills and such a strong resume. Because think about it. Imagine you're 13 or 14 years old mm-hmm. and you spend four years building your own YouTube channel and learning as much as you can. This is now your portfolio. Mm-hmm. When you want to go for a job or if you want to start freelancing and start your own or start your own company and be like, yeah, I'm a YouTube consultant. What's my, oh, you're 18. What a joke. Well, I've been making videos for the past four years. I have 100,000 subscribers that I got all on my own. I do know what I'm talking about. And I think that's one thing that this generation can do that can never be done before is age is less of a factor and you can always build social credibility in anything you're doing. And even for me, applying more, maybe some more traditional jobs. One thing I found very successful is like even writing for me in RevOps, for example, writing articles on what is revenue operations, how to run operations as a startup. I can create this content, even if I only get a few eyes on it, when I'm applying to a job or talking to someone else, they can look and see, I know what I'm talking about. And I think that's the big thing now is instead of hoping your resume speaks for itself, you can have actual proof. Hey, I'm a subject matter expert in this realm, no matter what age you are. And I think that's what we're seeing more and more now. 
every job you apply to ask for a website. Do you have a portfolio? Even for jobs that are traditionally not creative, they want to see, can you do it yourself? And I think that's going to be the next not only thing. That, well, you know, you and I are two very interesting individuals. Because you and I both come from the business background mm. with master's degrees, but yet we both fell or, you know, mm. found the passion for creative work. Mm. And even if we do decide we want to work in this creative industry, we still have that background in business that a lot of people don't have, you know, I spend a lot of time looking at creator now. I mean, mm. like we're both mm. in that community. I'm very active. Mm. You're a little more passive. And there's a lot of younger people in that community that I find. They all love the creativity, but none of them understand business or they don't always understand certain things like you have. Yeah, you can make as many videos as you want about whatever you're passionate about. But if there's no eyes on that subject matter, it's never going to work out. Yeah, you could build credibility by making, but what's the biggest credibility? showing uh having numbers yeah guess what no one cares about subscriber counts anymore theoretically in content creation why because of short form content it's so much easier to get subscribers mm -hmm. that you could get them from anywhere but if you could show that you got a million views on a couple of videos you're getting millions or hundreds of thousands of views all the time here's your credibility or again as i mentioned earlier it's your portfolio if i ever wanted to apply to a more creative job and to go elsewhere or be like a channel manager or an editor, I could show any video I've ever made as evidence. I could also be like, yeah, I talk to other creators all the time. I've consulted on videos. I give a ton of feedback to other creators, creators on how to improve their videos. Oh, you need references on this stuff? Here you go. Here's another three people that I speak to every day about content creation. I think one thing that has never changed is the classic and you coming from business school, your network is your net net worth. And it's the same thing is that even these small creators, if you're well-connected in the industry, being able to make connections is extremely valuable. I mean, they would say even getting, Yet a neither of us want to vid summit. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I will say one of the things you do realize the older you get is that most of the jobs and opportunities out there are hidden, meaning you typically have to know someone or way to get past the barrier because I mean, maybe speaking more working for a company, you probably have, if you know someone who's hiring or what they're hiring for, you can get in early days. I even think with like video creation, trying to get people to collab with you. If you, if you know someone who knows the person, it's way easier, even if you're a small creator, to get someone who's on paper maybe more famous than you, if you have that human connection. And yeah. I think that's always underlooked. If somebody trusts you, it works. That's all it is. Like if someone is willing to vouch for you, people are willing to take a chance on you. And I recently just heard that when it comes to being a creator and you're looking for sponsorships, companies are very unwilling to look for new creators because they don't know who's good to work with and who's bad to work with. So when they find somebody or they're vouch someone's vouched for who is all of a sudden they know, okay, this person is going to be good to work with, mm -hmm. it's super simple for them to say, okay, we're going to take you and we're going to take a chance on you because someone has vouched for you. And that one opportunity could become two opportunities. It becomes five. You know how they always say that luck is the combination of opportunity and preparedness. This is exactly what I mean. An opportunity comes in, you put in, but you're putting in all your reps and you're talking to the right people that someone could connect you. It could change your life. Actually, I think one big thing with, especially with this influencer marketing industry, what issue that there is, is that compared to maybe using a brand or a faceless character or a mascot, you can control the whole narrative. In influencer marketing, and this is what you touched on a little bit, you're 
whole marketing campaign or whole time spent is hoping the person you're talking to or using as your face is a good person. And a human being, you know, humans being valuable, the big issue and I th- is you want to find someone you can trust. Sure, X or, you know, X person or Y person might be better cost per dollar for views. But if I don't know them, why would I risk my brand with someone who could have a sketchy past or who could do something to jeopardize? And I think that's why it's so important, especially now, everyone thinks about social media and marketing and you know, being all digital, being able to make that network in person or at least have a network more friendly, you can get opportunities because people are willing to minimize the risk, maybe not best returns, but minimizing risk at the end of the day is so important for many businesses you want to work with. So if you were brand new into the industry, you could have whatever background you want. Yeah. So you could already have your, so let's assume that you still have your mm-hmm. business background mm-hmm. and you want to break into the creative industry. What's, what would you do? And I know you mentioned mm-hmm. already, like you'd have to find your passion in YouTube content. Is there another path you would take beyond making content or would you strictly say, I'm going to start by making content and go from there? So I think you would ha- you have to start making content. Now, does do you have now this is where do you have to make the content to try to be successful, or do you make the content for the sake of just learning the process? And I think it's a really important idea, especially if you're trying to make it in this industry, to experience what it's like to do it. I think it's the same reason you even hear a lot of like coaches or the great coaches. You don't have to be a professional athlete to be a professional coach, but it's really good if you know how the sport works, just so you can picture okay, how does editing work? What are the big constraints? And I think that's the big thing here is that if you're trying to start out in this industry and trying to make money in this industry, money is used to solve problems or get knowledge, but solving problems. If you don't know how the industry works, it's very hard to find a solution that people will pay you for. And I think that's the thing. The big difference is if you're making content to be a business or get into the content world to make money and have a business versus for fun or purely fun, there's almost two different avenues. If you want to make money and make a living doing this, you, even though you want something you're passionate about, you have to make sure that it is solving a need. And I think that's where people get it tricky when they think of content creation. And for the next few years, we'll see a big shift in this is that now all the content creation, it's starting from day one as a business. So you're saying, hey, you know, I might like gaming or I might like this type of gaming, but how can I make money and focus on the growth specifically? And I think that's the big difference here is that you have to approach it with a little bit less emotion and look, where is the opportunity here? Because there's no opportunity Sure, it might be fun to do, but you can't grow as rapidly or be as effective as you want. And to look, do. going back to gaming, there's clever mm-hmm. methodologies to earning money. Like all of a sudden, you could be like, if you're going to be a streamer who puts out videos about you dominating a game and you need to make money at the game, you could offer something like coaching. Mm-hmm. And not only could you theoretically offer coaching, you could go the Nisa Avenue mm-hmm. of not only do you offer coaching, you, uh, you could do two tiers. You could do a private coaching that costs more money. Or you could do a coaching that is streamed. Mm-hmm. So not only are you doing the content through, you're, you, you're earning money through the coaching, you're then live streaming the coaching, which you could then turn into videos long and short, and you could basically double, triple, quadruple dip one revenue stream into multiple. Like you could make money through certain methods in gaming, and then you can make smart money too. It's how could you use what you're doing and earn more from it. I get. I think the coaching example mm-hmm. is the best possible example. If you're like a League of Legends player who's like grandmaster or challenger, if you're the top Fortnite player, you're a top Apex player, anything very competitive, you could sell coaching. If you're just going into content and you understand the process, I've always said you can't hire an editor until you've edited 100 videos. Yeah. 
Because if you don't know how to edit a video, not only is it that it's hard for you to give instructions to an editor, you are more likely to get scammed. Mm -hmm. Because if you don't know what is and isn't possible theoretically, it's very possible for an editor to pull your leg and to lie. Because they have no recourse. Why Why would they tell you the truth? That they could earn more money for less work. That's the word of advice I got very young is take basic accounting and learn how programming kind of works. Because if you just know a little bit, you can first hire the right people a lot easier, but know the conversations to have. And that's the same thing you're saying. If you're hiring an editor, you don't have to be a good editor, but you should know how editing works. And also just to get a timeline of how long should this take? So someone's saying, hey, it's going to take me five hours to edit this. Is that within the realm of possibility? And that's what you're touching on. You should know really what the realm of possibilities are. So you're not, you're not, you're not getting messed up or taken advantage of for these basic things. I didn't know this, but I found this out recently. So Tommy Init, who's a massive YouTuber, does sections of every video he does or sections of videos. Like he edits some of his own work. And this is that concept too of keeping your finger on the pulse. Mm -hmm. You got to know what's happening in your business and how do you keep, your, and keep on what's happening in your business by doing it. You don't just disconnect and say, okay, well, the editor is going to do everything and I'm just going to watch the final product. No, you stay somewhat mm -hmm. involved in editing. So maybe you're like, yeah, I'm going to do all the intros to my videos. I think they do that with the editing podcast. Yeah. They have editors for the editing podcast, but they do their own intros. Mm -hmm. And the reason they do that is they're so involved in the process of the story. Now, I'm sure eventually they're going to pass that off mm -hmm. for time once you can. But just in the meantime... As you're building, you still stay involved as much as... The famous story, I'm not sure if it's true, but I heard this many times when I was younger, was that Oprah, billionaire, would sign every check above $1,000, maybe $10,000 for her business. Might have been twenty, but I know I yeah. definitely have heard the story. And the idea here is the same thing you're saying, is that you want to know where your money's going, where the time is being spent. And another story is with Elon Musk is he'll do every job to know how hard it is. So the... Classic saying, again, no, 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 if this is true, is if you see Elon doing your job means you're going to be fired. Because he's going to say, hey, I figured out how rockets work. Why am I paying you so much to do this? And I think it's the same thing. Most founders of anything, you don't have to be an expert at everything, but you should know how everything works to at least a basic level to be able to have a conversation with every employee. And I think that's Even where I work, the owners sign every check. Yeah. Because they want to know exactly where their money's going. Out. And every day they go through every single invoice that they send out. So they know what's coming in and what's sold. Because mm -hmm. it's a basic business that buys product, sells product. And they want to know what is selling. They don't want to just look at reports at the end. They want to see on a daily basis what is moving, mm -hmm. what isn't moving, how much stock went out. So that way it's mm -hmm. like, okay, now we need to order. Just know what's happening. And I think what you touched on is also the same, especially with so much analytics and videos, is that the key is here is looking at diff a bunch of different numbers and different views. If you're just, for example, just looking at subscriber count, it's not paint a full picture. If your subscribers are growing, but your video views are dropping, is that good or bad? It's hard to say. A number is just a number without a story. So you need to really understand watch hours. what it's is going on. Yeah. Watch hours is what you want to watch, in my opinion. But mm -hmm. I was going to say, if you are a brand new mm -hmm. creator and you haven't got in that 100 reps, yeah. Well, I do think you need to look at your analytics as a way to improve. Mm -hmm. I don't think that at that beginning you should be f entirely focused on the analytics because you still haven't figured out the process. Yes. I'm a big believer that you got to get it down. Like you could stare at, because the thing is you could stare at analytics all day and draw the wrong conclusion. Mm -hmm. It's, it's the same thing when they say is that you shouldn't really care about investing until you have a hundred thousand in cash. Mm -hmm. And the idea behind that is 
if you're getting, let's say, 100 views per video, and then one video does 120, that's a 20% increase. But the sample size is so small that it's irrelevant. Until you can get a bunch of views to see aggregate information, hey, what's working, what's not, if you keep adjusting between every video, you're making a thousand changes, you know what's working. I think that's what you're saying, yeah. is that you need to get through it. You're looking at the analytics to see, is there a trend I'm noticing between a few things, but you really just have the, to- The most important videos to study are the outliers. So using your 100 mm -hmm. view example, you post 10 videos, eight of them get 100 views, one gets 80 and one gets 120. Mm -hmm. You could ignore all the videos that are at 100 views because they're all about the same. So you, there, so what you want to look at is why did this one do less and why did this one do more? Mm -hmm. Because why? Okay, if this one has 120, what did I do differently? I, if I did, mm -hmm. uh, if uh, the one that did 80, why did it get less? What went wrong? So what mm -hmm. could you cut to make it better? I just had a short I put up. It was... For those who are watching the channel, I, I'll tell you which one it was. It was the uh, games that you could play while you're taking a dump. Mm -hmm. I thought that idea was golden. It turned out the idea was a dump. Yeah. But it doesn't. But it wasn't the idea that yeah. was the dump. It was the execution of the idea. But I've done enough videos that I could study the analytics mm -hmm. and I could say, okay, the re the stay through rate, which is basically in short form content. How many people are choosing to stay and watch the video mm. versus how many swipe away? I believe it's the first three seconds. If you swipe away in the first three seconds, you swiped through. So I could say this and say, okay, 65% of people stayed and watched the video. It was a good hook. Mm -hmm. The idea was solid. But between the original three-second hook and the entire first of three games that I discussed, we lost probably 30 to 40% of all viewers. So what's that telling me? That the issue, that's enough information for me, who's someone who's established to know this section here is the problem. Because once you look after, it flatlined, yeah. it stayed flat. The question I have for you then is, obviously looking at these analytics are important. But again, one big thing is analysis paralysis. Spending so much time, where do you... Now, this is the question. Do you, should you, how much time should you spend looking at analytics versus just working on making content? I think that's always a hard trade-off because you can always spend more time analyzing the data. But when do you have to just go out there and try things out? How do you know when to focus on data versus when to focus on just spending time creating instead and hoping you find something else to do? So I have witnessed a lot of both. And the, and the thing is, if you go, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's a delicate balance mm -hmm. because if you just go, and create and create and create and you never go back and look at the analytics mm -hmm. then you're just following the definition of insanity you yeah. could do the same thing a thousand times expecting different results you're insane mm -hmm. but if you spend all the time studying every specific analytic to every single video you're not giving yourself the opportunity to grow because you're not putting out videos i know people you know, I think you need to, at a minimum, mm -hmm. if you're just starting out, you should be posting at least once a week. Mm -hmm. And yes, it's okay to study and look at the analytics. Or, but I think more important than looking at the analytics, you need to get is feedback. Mm -hmm. How could you work with other people to improve it? If I, the same video I was talking about earlier, the games you can play taking a dump, mm -hmm. I brought into a creator now call with about six other creators to get feedback. 
the follow-up video, which I've also released just before. I don't know how it performed yet because I released it like right before mm-hmm. we did this podcast, so I can't sit and stare at the analytics, which is games that belong in the trash can. And what did I do differently in that video versus games taking up? I took every single piece of feedback that I got, I wrote it on a list, and I said to myself that every single piece of feedback I got that I felt was valid, you have to trust your own yes. judgment. Once you have made enough content and you've studied enough and you've learned enough, you need to trust your own judgment too. So any piece of uh, feedback that I felt was of value, I made sure that I put it in somehow. So for example, someone said to me, the tonality was too similar throughout the entire video. The intro was me sitting at my desk talking. Each game was me sitting at my desk talking. The pacing was similar. The tonality was similar. The music was the same. The subtitles were the same. Nothing was changing. So what did I do differently? The opener was a, was a skit, sort of, that was filmed in my kitchen. The first game talked about was me sitting at the desk like normal. The second game in the video was Aaron talking about a game, and the subtitles were actually changed because instead of it being highlighted in green, it was highlighted in purple. Mm-hmm. That's such a minor change, but it's enough to make a difference. And I changed the music. Then after Aaron's game, it flipped back. New track, still back to me speaking, but every single piece of the video had a completely change, complete change mm-hmm. in tonality. And that's the thing. You take feedback and you improve it. And you could take analytics, of course, and improve on it because that could be the first. Obviously, analysis paralysis is real. Mm-hmm. But if you could maintain output, yeah, study. But you need to prioritize that no matter what you're doing. If you're not putting something out, and you're not improving, mm-hmm. nothing can change. Even if you follow the old adage of every video needs to be 1% better, mm-hmm. you still need to release the videos to do it. Yes. Yeah, of course. You could study every day. You could study every single day. You know, you could make an atomic habit, 15 minutes of study a day on something you could use to improve your videos. Mm-hmm. But if you never put it in a video, you don't. it won't work. And, one of, and I'll give you the philosophy that I kind of taken on when it comes to videos, unless I'm using from a feedback perspective, it is you learn something, apply it to a video. Learn something, apply it to a video. When I took Hayden's course and we did the coolest shop effect, mm-hmm. which if you're not familiar with what that is, it might, it'll be like what the essence of the coolest shop effect is that when you show a face and then an image and then the same face or something else, basically what you see helps could determine how you feel or interpret someone is feeling. So if I show a blank face, then a picture of, of Aaron and then a blank face, it could be like, Oh, something I'm angry at her. Mm. But if I show a picture like of me, like kind of like with a, like a blank face and then something positive and then a blank face, you could be like, Oh, he's thinking about that. And it's like happy. I but think but so much, the yeah. immediate thing I did when I learned about that is I made a short that used it. I made a short about Valorant, about mm-hmm. being bad at Valorant, and how could I apply it? Because once you apply it, you're able to continue to use it. If you never use it, you lose it. Exactly. I think that's the big thing is you need to try out many different things when you're starting out to really understand what is working and what is not working. I also want to take a step back because we were talking about making content. What about working in the back end? So being an editor, being a thumbnail artist, or being a content consultant or a channel manager. If you wanted to go into that line, 
how would you go about it? So this is where my old schoolness really plays into fact. So I worked, when I first started working, I did unpaid internships. Are those ethical? Who knows? Are they effective? Or is actually also another debate. But I think one thing that works effectively, especially when I'm even applying to jobs, this is, applies to everything in life. Don't go to people with problems. Go to them with solutions. So a lot of times, and I've heard many success stories in the digital world and in the more traditional business world, is if you find, let's say you want to be a content editor, you obviously have to start off small. Or a video editor, let's say, are making thumbnails. Thumbnails is a good example here. Let's say you like to make thumbnails. You think that's where you want to make some money because you're great at Photoshop. You're great at utilizing or being creative here and you have certain genres you want to work in, don't go to the creator and say, hey, can I make your thumbnails? I'll work for free. That doesn't matter. They don't. They will never respond. But if you say, hey, I saw your last video. I like your thumbnail. Here are a few things I would change. Here's an example of the work. Love to have a call with you. They will almost always get back to you. And I think that's the big thing. Now, don't do free work without getting paid. Don't, they take, don't get taken advantage of. But you can easily, because everyone's so reachable, it's easy to find anyone's email in the world, pretty much. You could offer 30 minutes of work, say, hey, this is a thumbnail idea I was working on. Here's a rough draft. Love to talk to you more, see how I can help you out. Once you get past that introduction, it's a lot easier than those have those conversations to see if you can work on the site. And most people I've ever talked to always want to help people starting out. They always want to help because they've been in that same situation, especially in content creation. Big creators are always helping small creators. But I think you need to show initiative. You're, you're trying to offer value even if you're the Well, here's the creator. thing. You're going to have a thousand people wanting to take that role. If you're the person, and they're being like, I want to work for you. I want to work for you. And you're like, you're the one person saying, here's work. Yeah. I did this. This is for you. I, I, I saw an Alex Hermosi uh, short about mm -hmm. this or a TikTok. And he's talking about, oh, you want to edit content for this guy? You want to turn his content into shorts? Just start doing it. Yeah. Do it every day and send it to them. They're going to notice that you're putting in the work. You do it for a month and they're going to, and yeah, that's kind of like you're ending up doing free work. But one, even if they don't take you, you've now spent a month doing reps. Mm -hmm. When you try it on the next person, you're better. Maybe you'll get it faster. But two, if they notice you and you're already doing it, you could get the job. Yeah. They could hire you. Be like, you're already doing it. Yeah. They see that you're doing, you're putting in the work. How many, you know, again, same idea. If you're Alex Hermosi, how many people are going to you saying, I want to turn your content into shorts versus how many people are just sending them every day? I made your thing into a short. I made your thing into a short. Like when you put in the work, people respect you. A lot of people are, want people with hustle. Yes. And who want to work. I, I do think that there is a challenge and it always has been a challenge. And I think now we're seeing it less and less, but still a big thing. Like the whole classic unpaid mods thing. When... How do you get people to pay you, though, is still a challenge. But I think the big thing, and people have to realize, or it's pretty, when you realize, is if you can bring value, most people are willing to pay for it. If oh, you can 100%. make them money, especially if they're a bigger creator, and you just have that candid conversation saying, hey, I, here, here are some shorts, or here are some thumbnails. Love to have a conversation. And you're just saying, hey, obviously I'm doing this work. Is there a way I can get compensated? This is what I was thinking. Most people are open at least having that conversation, or at least laying it out. You have to lay out expectations because if you never ask for it, you'll never get it. And I think that's a big well, think thing. Think about the traditional world. If you go and say, if you went up to a, your manager and said, I want to raise, they're just going to laugh. They're going to yeah. laugh you out of the room. But if you say, I have this proposal of this new business idea that could bring us a million dollars a year. Mm -hmm. If this works, 
I want us to run this, and if it works out, I would I would like a piece of the a piece mm-hmm. of the profit. You could probably get it because one, you're the one saying you're going to do the work. Two, you're bringing them value. If all of a sudden mm-hmm. you bring them a million dollars in sales, and all of a sudden, and let's call it, let's call it twenty two hundred thousand yep. dollars in profit, and you say from there, I want ten percent. Uh, mm-hmm. I want one percent of the profit. So whatever I achieve with it, you get. So one percent of that is. $2,000, which isn't a lot. Let's use a high, maybe yeah. we should use a high percent. So let's say 10%. So $20,000. Yeah, you're getting an extra $20,000. The company's still getting $180,000. Mm-hmm. Every party wins. And when every, you can, you know, and the, the key to a negotiation is to bring value to every party. And this is the same thing. It's when you're trying to get a role working for somebody, it's not about how you could bring value to you. It's how, you could bring value to that relationship. When I used to stream, like I used to live stream all the time and people would say, can I play with you? I used to present a challenge instead of saying no, I would say, why should you let, why should I let you play with me? I was giving them the opportunity to sell it. Yeah. And not one person understood the assignment. Mm -hmm. Every single one talked about why it would be good for them. Mm-hmm. Not one person came in and said, I believe that by my playing with you, I can make the content more interesting yeah. for the viewer. I believe that I could teach you how to play the game better. Mm-hmm. That'll help you earn more money or get more viewers or more subscribers. And if one person came to me and said, yeah, you let me play with you, I could teach you, uh, I could teach mm-hmm. you, or I could help you. I would have said yes, mm-hmm. because you have successfully sold yourself. Mm-hmm. That you have proven that you understand what I'm looking for. I'm looking for value to the stream by letting. And nine out of ten times, if they're saying it's for me, mm-hmm. they were not going to provide value. Yeah, that's one thing people don't realize is that no matter how small you are, you can bring value to the biggest people. I remember back. This is maybe early days. We were on undergrad, early 2010s, very early 2010s. Social media was brand new. Instagram was brand new. I saw 50-year-old millionaires running half-billion-dollar companies asking their teenage kids, how do I make an Instagram account for my business? So even if you're young or you're, you know, maybe you not don't have the most experience, you can always bring value to a relationship. Everyone knows something you don't know. And I think that's the key is where can you add value? Where can you add to the relationship? And again, most people are also relatively friendly, not everyone, but if you can show value, the tenor of the conversation, I think one thing also for getting paid, and this is not sneaky, but one way of actually knowing how much you're worth is always try to get two offers. So let's say you start editing for one person, you bring up the conversation and they're, saying, and they're still telling you, hey, you're on an introductory for three months. Say, no worries. If you can find someone else who's willing to pay you, then you can get them to compete with you. And nev- but never... In any negotiation, give a walkaway clause. Never say, hey, if you don't pay me this, I'm walking away. Because if they say no, you have to walk away then. But I always found there's always a way of saying, hey, if I'm making X amount of dollars per thumbnail here, I love working with you, but be due to my time, I want to be able to at least make the same amount of money having those conversations, lets the person who's paying you know what your value is as well. And the truth is, it's, you know, a thumbnail artist is a good example. If you work for the same thumbnail artist for the year and you're starting to train them in the way you like things done, mm-hmm. 
it's worth it to you to increase the amount yes. of money. They're bringing in a ton of value. And if you could prove that their thumbnails are doing well and they're improving and they're the way you want it, why wouldn't you give them more money so you could keep them? You know, I, uh, we were talking or we mentioned this much earlier mm-hmm. about somebody copying content. Yeah. I, would, I saw an example of a creator who's doing very well in uh, UFC videos. Mm-hmm. And they were telling me and a few other creators that some, a kid basically was making crappy knockoffs of his videos, but they were edited very similarly. Mm-hmm. And, or he was complaining, like, how do I get rid of him? How do I get rid of him? I said to the guy, why don't you hire him? Mm-hmm. This guy has already figured out your editing style to about 80% of the way. Why don't you, your videos are doing well. You're mm. getting 100K on a UFC game videos mm. and you have 13,000 subscribers. You're doing quite well. Why don't you bring on this kid as your editor? So instead of him creating knockoff versions of content for himself to earn no money, he can make, he could edit and ideate for you mm-hmm. and you both earn more money because all of a sudden you now pay him per video and you get a higher amount of output of the same. And I think now, especially with the kind of jumping back to the analytics, because things are easier to track, paying people became a lot easier. Before, when it became to content creation, even marketing, for example, you had no idea how many eyes were on the video, what the click-through rate was. Are people clicking on your branded content? Now, when you can see that information, you can have a conversation with you. Maybe your editor is saying, hey, if we get this video to X amount of views, you'll get paid this. If it gets past this, you'll get paid this. So I think there's always ways of incentivizing people now because you have the data to have a there's, fair relationship. At there's least. always different methods like uh, Babish, like yeah. the Babish culinary universe. He does uh, revenue sharing. Mm-hmm. So when, cause it's a bunch of different people who make videos on his channel. So you have him himself, but then he has like, a couple of series of other people. Mm-hmm. They get a, I think they get a base rate mm-hmm. for being, but they also get a percentage of the earnings. So if the video earns $50,000, they get a percentage of that because they're the ones putting in the work. Mm-hmm. It's his branding, and obviously he's the one taking the risk. But there's always ways around it. And now revenue sharing, I think, is a little complicated because mm-hmm. you you know you're the one taking the risk. You don't want to give too much away. But like if you're ever going to be like a partnership with yeah. someone, it's worth it. I think Eric and Mac originally started at a 50-50 partnership. Mm-hmm. I don't know what that happened now, yeah. but I think you know they did it together. He's the face. He one's the face, one's the back end. And they do it together, and they both own it. I think we're going to see a lot, funny enough, going forward. I mean, in startups, we've seen this a lot, like the founder relationship. And I think more and more now, because truthfully, content's getting... Anyone can enter content, but it's getting a little more complex now. The level of editing this year compared to 10 years ago, nine-day difference. And yeah, we can course. all see that. So I think we're going to start seeing more teams, as we've seen with many of these bigger brands or many content creators. There's a team behind them. I think we're going to start seeing almost like startups. There's going to be equity sheets. There's going to be rules of engagement. We're also going to see some big breakups. We're also going to see some, you know, million million subscriber channels fall apart because of bureaucracy. But I do think what's becoming more and more popular now is, again, as we've kind of all looping back, building those strong relationships. Because realistically, to get a 10 million subscriber channel, you need a team behind you. No matter how good you are, you can't work 100 hours a day because there's only 24 hours in the day. And I think that's the big thing as well is, Anything you want to grow, and this comes back to, I guess, our, pre, our initial conversation, how would I grow in this industry? Looking at hiring employees, and employees, I mean, full-time employees, it can be contractors, it can be thumbnail artists. Freelancers, even. Freelancers. You can't be afraid 
to know what your time is worth and figure out how to expand. Because realistically, you can't ideate, shoot, read, edit all your videos if you want to make a living doing this. You'll have to eventually bring people in. And your idea, and this is something I always say to other founders, no matter what you're working on, your idea isn't that cool. The execution is what makes you money. Like when startups and people are like, oh, I'm not gonna tell you my idea because you're gonna steal it. No one's gonna see your idea. And especially in content creation, no matter what content you're making, it's going out there. If pe- people are going to steal, people are going to steal it. You have to get people involved because it takes a village to raise a family or to raise a kid. It probably is going to now take a village to raise a 100 million subscriber channel. It can't be one individual most of the time.